And we are back. Welcome to part two of the Romans Empire podcast. And this week, it's going to be a lot of fun, Andres. We're going to talk about uh, different Chelsea news. Various Chelsea players decided to go partying on Friday night. We'll tell you some funny stories about that. Um, we're also going to answer some Twitter questions. And we're doing match previews for Slavia, Prague, and Liverpool. So stay tuned. We are going to talk a lot of shit about Liverpool at the end of this podcast. I know Andres has a yes. lot of slippy G jokes up his sleeve. Um, but first, I mean, let's just dive right into our Twitter questions. Uh, our good buddy Ron, a.k.a. Roman's Empire Pod Ultra creator. He was actually the one that created hashtag Rep Ultra. So shout out, Ron. You're the homie. Um, he said, all I could say is something along the lines of how much will Miss Eden if he leaves. But how good has Jorginho been the last few games? Him, Conte, and RLC are so good together. So, Andres, before you address this, I do want to say that we talked about this a little bit in part one. So let's try to keep this one a little bit short, but give us a basic synopsis of uh, of what Ron is seeing. Do you agree with him? Completely, completely. One thing that Sari has always said from the beginning and Jorginho has shown is that when the two midfielders around him are making the off-the-ball runs and are in the right positions, he will succeed because he has two seconds tops to be moving the ball. And Conte, fully comfortable in the right center mid position, has been for a while, is doing what he keeps doing. But now he has a compliment in RLC who is loving the freedom and the space to move forward and dribble at defenses, which only makes Jorginho's job a lot easier. Isn't it crazy how when Jorginho has the right personnel around them, he could, he's actually a good footballer? Isn't it's it's a mind blowing concept? Like I know, I know it's overwhelming to hear that, and I know you feel all these types of emotions inside of you, but like, get over it. Like Jorginho is sick. He's an incredible footballer, but he just needs the right pieces around them in the system. And I think we're finally seeing it. The last couple matches, he he looks like he's finally controlling matches from the first minute to the last minute. That's all I'm going to say about Jorginho. If I sound like a fanboy, I don't give a fuck. Uh, next, <laughs> I do want to talk about why Hazard – I mean we talked about it in part one. We, we, we talked about the brilliant uh, goals that he scored against Brighton and the double he had against West Ham. But I mean he's just proving week in and week out that he's a Chelsea legend both on and off the pitch. And uh, something interesting that I found was when he was talking about Spurs' new stadium, he was quoted saying something pretty funny about him. So he said, quote, for the Premier League, it is good. A new stadium. They have top players. And in the end, you know, at Chelsea, we've won a lot of trophies and they have not. So I hope this continues. Basically, you got a really nice stadium, <laughs> but you didn't build a trophy cabinet because you're probably not going to win one anytime soon. I mean, is that proof that Hazard is proper Chels? Oh, definitely. I mean, the guy, the guy, there, he didn't need to prove it by making that statement, but that only enforces it. Essentially saying, you didn't earn the new stadium because you won anything. Somebody just paid for a nice little home for you to have. It's still empty, though. It's That's <laughs> fantastic. I gotta love Eden Hazard. You know what bothers me about Spurs' new stadium is how they just completely copied the yellow wall at Dortmund. Like, you can't just do that. <laughs> you, you you can't say, like, here, we're going to make a 17,000 uh, capacity grandstand behind one of the goals. Dortmund already did it. It's not original. Stop copying everybody. Like, go away. 
they're, they're kind of like the modern day millennial hype beast, right? Like the kid that comes out with like, you know, these, those really ugly bulky shoes that they're wearing nowadays and the jeans that are too tight that don't fit them. They have all these types of holes in them and like designer shirts and all this shit. But then like, you know, the kid starts talking and, and he doesn't, he's not fluent. He's not smart at all. That's basically what Spurs are in this situation. Like, yeah, it makes sense. You know, build a bigger stadium, you get bigger capacity, more ticket sales, this and that. But like, you're still not winning anything. And to be a proper yeah. football club, you have to win something. So, um, I'm holding it's, two middle fingers up, and they're pointed to North London right now. So, um, I, I, I hope they get the message. It's a pretty nice looking stadium until you see the aerial shot, and it still looks like a toilet seat. So, it's, <laughs> Spurs, Spurs will be Spurs. You can hide it as much as you want behind a nice fancy stadium, but. Hazard said it best. It's still an empty trophy case. It is still an empty trophy case as far as I'm concerned. So um, I want to move on. <laughs> and, and this is an interesting story that uh, that broke on Friday. When we woke up in the morning, uh, we were treated to some pretty funny news. So various Chelsea players were actually spotted leaving a nightclub called Raffle early on Friday morning. Now, um. I'm not going to go ahead and blast them for going out partying and basically being human because, you know, when you have the money that they do and to be fair, you have the time off that they do because sorry does give a lot of time off to his players. That's something that a lot of players have been very vocal about that they actually like about him, but like they have free will. And the point is they can go out and they could party and they could have a drink or two, but two players that had a two of the players had more than a drink or two i'll get to them in a sec but uh cahill ethan ampadu ruben loftus cheek they all left the nightclub at around 1 30 a.m so good for them they're being responsible ish i guess i i think it was more cahill being like big brother and being like hey you're the two youngest guys you got to get out of here um and then Giroud walks out around 2 30 now this is where it gets interesting andres because in between Cahill, <laughs> Ampadu, and RLC leaving and Giroud leaving, about an hour apart, Danny Drinkwater comes stumbling out of the nightclub, um, two random women, and he's absolutely shit-faced. Um, I've seen all these different nicknames from Danny needs to drink water, Danny drank a lot of beer, Danny drank vodka. I mean, I've seen, I, I, I've seen all over the spectrum different names. But I just thought this was absolutely hilarious. Andres, your initial reaction to this, and uh, and be honest because I know I remember what you said in the group chat. So, you know, what did you think of Danny Drinkwater? What a life this guy lives! <laughs> My goodness, he is being paid two hundred thousand plus a week to be uh, a good teammate to be a training dummy, to be the ultimate fanboy on Instagram, and to be a guy that takes you out clubbing. Are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? Yeah. This is, is, do, do I just need to be British and an able body to make a Chelsea roster spot to hang out with these guys? Because if so, I'm a year or two younger than drink water. <laughs> that, that's, that's all that matters i can speak in spanish to certain teammates i'll speak in english to the others 
I, I don't I don't even think the best part about this is like how much he's making or like you know, the fact that he's going out and drinking and stuff. Like, look, I mean, we know that 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 the UK has 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 a has a great culture of like drinking and socializing, right? And and that's not that that's no secret to anybody. It's not a knock on them. I love drinking and I love socializing. Apparently, so does Danny Drinkwater. But I want to focus more on the socializing part. How about him walking out with two girls? <laughs> I think that was the absolute best part. Is he's probably in the he's probably in the club. He's probably he's people probably spotted him standing next to like Olivier Giroud and and Loftus Cheek and Ross Barkley, like these good looking guys, you know. And, and then there's Danny Drinkwater standing next to them. I could just totally imagine these girls going up to Giroud, Giroud just being like, "No, you're not my type." And then Danny Drinkwater <laughs> just swooping in and being like, did you know I won the Premier League? And those girls are like, huh? And then he actually <laughs> proves it to them on Wikipedia. And then all of a sudden, like, their panties drop. Like, <laughs> I think that's basically how Danny Drinkwater's night went. I hope he got laid. I hope he had a threesome. I hope he enjoyed it very much. And I also hope that we sell him this summer. <laughs> he was still on form that weekend after this because he was commenting on everyone's Instagram. So we know he recovered well. I just thought it was hilarious that it was Danny Drinkwater of all people. But yeah. the second – there is another Chelsea player in this, Andres. Believe it or not, and it was actually Ross Barkley. And he was actually the last one to leave the nightclub at 5 a.m. chugging a bottle of water, talking to a random woman. Again, we don't know if he went home and slept with that woman. I hope he did. I mean, why wouldn't – why wouldn't you want you know your footballers to get laid on a daily basis? But he's there at 5 a.m. chugging a bottle of water. Now that's that has to be kind of irresponsible, right? Hey, at least he's chugging water, but uh, <laughs> I don't know. He needs I to hate to be light. right. I hate to be like the Debbie Downer, but I just pulled up uh, a report that Danny Drinkwater might have accidentally, and by accident I don't mean to defend him, been. He's under he's arrested under the suspension of drunk driving. So I don't know if it was directly related to this event, but I as much as we're poking fun at this whole thing, I don't think we condone that behavior. No. Like go out, go drink, but you have two hundred thousand dollars a week, pay for a damn Uber. So I was gonna <laughs> hey, say you that buy they're an Uber X even right, he's, I, he's or the black or whatever. Yeah. yeah, I was gonna say like oh have fun or whatever, but don't pull a Danny drink water. That's that's. It's uh, it's like the, it's like never go full Danny drink water. It's gonna don't, be my new thing. You know what they say? Don't Danny drink and drive. So there you uh, go. Oh, man, that was terrible. Um, but yeah, I thought I, I I just thought it was a funny story that needs to be mentioned. But I also think it's interesting how the press didn't necessarily make a super huge deal out of it because the Chelsea players were on their day off, so they technically yeah. were allowed to do what they wanted. And I think if it was anybody more relevant, if it wasn't Danny Drinkwater, let's say it was Eden Hazard, uh, Eden Hazard in Danny Drinkwater's situation, which he would never do because Hazard's the nicest guy and he was probably cuddling in bed with his wife and his kids and his dog and you know just he was asleep at eight thirty probably with a cup of tea. But if it was if it was Hazard in Danny Drinkwater's spot, I mean he would just be getting blasted. But the fact that it was Danny Drinkwater, it. it Nobody really cared. Yeah, they um, know he's not going to be playing the next game, so yeah, it doesn't, doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Um, so I want to move on to the next Twitter question. It's actually the first time this guy reached out to us, and he's he's a good friend of yours, actually, Andres. So yeah. uh, at Bobby Toddy, I like that. I like that Twitter handle. It's catchy. 
Uh, he tweeted, what do I have to do for Chelsea to get better fullbacks? It was kind <laughs> of a joke. So I know you're a Reese James fanboy, Andres. So uh, why don't why, why, why don't you remind uh, our friend Bobby a, a little bit about Reese James? Of course. So earlier this year, because Ampadu was on the squad, I, I've mentioned, oh, Ampadu, if we mold him right or if he's up for it, he could be like a Joshua Kimmich, CM, right back hybrid. But I must have just forgotten somehow about this beautiful young man named Reese James, who is already doing both of those things for Wigan Athletic. Mm-hmm. And he's not just doing it because uh, he wants to. He has been – he's their youngest player, has been their best player. He's got the most man, uh, like player of the month awards for Wigan and has been forced to play in the midfield because they need to solidify the midfield as they battle to stay in the championship because they have given up so much possession that their manager said, well, I guess we have to move Reese out of right back and, and put him somewhere else because I need him to impact the, the game even more. And – and he, that he even is scored in his last match. Oh, fantastic. Turn it was it was a very Loftus cheek esque kind of move in midfield to a rocket of a shot up or ninety. But the guy is a freak. If you look at his output, offensive output numbers, he's got the highest rating in terms of from any player, not even just like defenders, I believe in the championship about like efficiency crossing or or correct cross placement, something along those lines. At he again as as the youngest player, he also was the player that won Youth Player of the Year above our very own Callum Hudson Adoy for mm. a reason, and he also was the captain of that team. So for me, leader. oh for sure, for me he is the eventual replacement to Aspie, if not mm. by the end of next season and the season after that. And then in terms of left back, I mean, Emerson's doing a lot better now. I still think that we can improve from there. I think he could be, we could have somebody else that could be the outright starter and Emerson can be a great rotational option. Mm-hmm. But knowing Bobby, he's a big Florenzi fan. And I know for a fact that like he's thinking of like Cancelo or like an Alexandro, that type of fullback is the one he's hoping for. And I would love to say that we'd be ready to go grab one of those guys, but at the end of the day, we still don't have a director of football. So, yeah. Reese James is the first, the move in the, the right, I guess in the right, first move in the right direction. I still would have loved to see maybe a, a Ola Ina come back or, or a Jay De Silva, but I think both of those guys have clauses that have been activated or are about to be activated. So, yeah, unfortunately, we still have to figure out the left side, but I think that. Reese James is the solution for the right side moving forward. You know, he, physically, and this is something we haven't mentioned, he's absolutely a monster. Like, like he's a unit. You look at the size of his body, the, the thickness of his legs and his calves. I mean, he is a massive human being. And, and you combine that with his athleticism, and you could draw a lot of parallels with Ruben Loftus-Cheek in that sense. But I want to. I just kind of want to highlight the fact that he won a spot on the team of the season, the championship team of the season, as a right back for a team at the bottom of their league table. 
So, like, think about it. You played most of the season as a right back, and you're 19th in a table out of 24 teams, and you still make team of the season as a right back. Just absolutely mind-boggling. He has seven man of the match awards on the season as a right back. Like, that's I, – I just want to emphasize as a right back. Like, it's it, it's kind of nuts. But, anyways, I think Reese James is pretty much a, a lock for next season in terms of backing up Aspie. Uh, I, I will never uh, – I will never look back if we never have to see Zapacosta again. Farewell, Arrivederci, is what the Italians say, right? <laughs> um, but anyways, uh, speaking of Italians, um, Maurizio Sarri went out this week, and, and he spoke about our two low knees this season, uh, Kovacic and Iguain, and he also expressed his desire to keep both of them. So, Andres, I mean, let's keep it short and simple. Would you uh, re-sign Kovacic, and would you – Resign Iguain on permanent de- on uh, permanent deals. The price tag on Kovacic is the final thing for me. I know that uh, Sari has said multiple times that he could become. Oh wow! I just somehow activated Alexa. I heard Alexa. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Not sure how that happened, but uh, Kovacic has to be the right price tag. Unfortunately, I don't think we'll get that from Madrid. So there's no point in me lingering on that. So I don't think we're going to sign Kovacic, and then we still have the transfer ban situation April 11th, three Possibly days away. a Hazard? A, uh, a, a piece a make, of the Hazard deal? We take only cash in that deal, I hope. that yeah, We would be too. dumb not to. But in terms of Iguain, I think it's a little different because we can extend the loan. We don't mm-hmm. actually have to buy him. So for me, again, if it's okay to extend that loan with the transfer ban situation, that's different especially if we're going to be, you know, in this kind of weird limbo next season. So I, I still am not, I don't know, man. Egoin's a weird one. If sorry, if sorry comes out and says, you know what, I want to give Abraham a shot, then screw that. Get Egoin out of here. But yeah. if, if he's still not fully sold on Tammy or, or the idea of maybe bringing them back Mishi for next season, if the transfer ban holds, then, then I guess we kind of have to extend Egoin at least – through through next season as a lone player. Oh, all I could think of is that scene in the office where Toby comes back from Costa Rica and Michael <laughs> Scott. No, God, no, no. <laughs> That's all I'm thinking of when I hear Iguain and coming back next season for Chelsea. Oh God, what a nightmare he's been so far. Um, I, I in terms of Kovacic, I think he hit the nail on the head. It does come down to the price. But I think the key here is at, at what price do you turn your back on Real? You know, if what is a fair price for Kovacic based on his last year, his body of work in the last year and his body of work at Chelsea? Now, I think it's interesting because he had a great World Cup. He was obviously part of a Croatia team that exceeded everyone's expectations. Um, but then came into this Chelsea side, and we had super high hopes for him. Um, mm-hmm. And you could argue that he might have been a little out of his depths in terms of you know how sorry saw him fitting into the side at first. I, th- I feel like he is a victim of uh, of of Jorginho coming to Chelsea as well because I I think he's I think his best position on the pitch is the Regista role. And I, call me crazy, but 
if we do sign Kovacic on a permanent deal, let's say he does come back next year and he gets regular playing time at the Regista role because he hasn't gotten that at all this season. He's just played there in right. bits and pieces. I think he could be just as good of a Regista, if not better than Jorginho, and possibly used for the bigger matches because Kovacic likes to keep things nice and tidy but also has that little defensive nounce that a lot of people criticize Jorginho for. So, I mean, Andres, give me a number. What is the most you are going to be willing to pay for a player like Mateo Kovacic? For Chelsea's situation, because that's the important part here, yeah, yeah. I, I say you can't pay more than 35 to 40 to mm-hmm. make it make sense for what you're trying to do with the squad, with bringing in youth. And yeah, I, I think 35, potentially 40 is the, the ceiling. But if they're asking for 50, use turnaround, because that's the other part of it all. Is there any other suitors that are going to pay that much at this point? He's been Possibly kind of a Tottenham. bench player. Or they, they keep bringing that up, but we all know that Tottenham sucks at transfers. If if we're bad at transfers, like Tottenham is is, I don't even know what an adjective correct adjective would be for that. But yeah, yeah I think thirty five to forty, the range between thirty and forty is is probably what Chelsea would want to go for, just based on the fact that he wasn't a starter at Madrid. He didn't he lost his starting role at Chelsea, so. His value has definitely gone down, even though he is a quality player. Interesting. And I'm actually inclined to agree with you. I think 35-plus add-ons is the only, is the highest I'll possibly go for Kovacic at this point. I mean, if not, and another Premier League team picks him up, like, fair play. But I think that there's – we're not – we haven't seen enough from him to uh, validate spending 50-plus million, yeah. I guess is what I'm trying to say. Um, last question. So, again, Roman's Empire Pod Ultra, our newest inductee at Nward, uh, tweeted at us. He said, West Ham threatened sometimes in the second half, and Tony Rudiger got fired up. His hustle, his emotion, and his fire made me think about leadership. I think there's a vice captain title for him somewhere in the future. And he also included that he is banking on Dave keeping that armband for a while. So what do we think? Oh, man, that's a that's a tough one because I don't know. I, I guess it's going to come down to, man, I really don't know. I think that right now the hierarchy is Aspie, then Louise, then Hazard. But in the next two years, all three of those players are most likely not starters anymore. Mm-hmm. Uh, my next thought would be, yeah, it would it would have to be Rudiger if he's still the starting center back because at left back, we don't know what left back will bring. At right back, we're thinking Reese James. Next to him is Christensen, who is a very quiet player. Maybe he can grow into that leadership role. Conte, as much as a world-class player as he is, he's not going to be the guy you give the captain band to. Uh, I don't think Jorginho's a Premier League captain. Right. I, I was going to say Jorginho is still kind of just the – kind of the new guy i don't think mm-hmm. he he kind of demands that respect on the pitch i would think rudiger i would think depending on the situation maybe loftus she can grow into that role but yeah I, Ooh, that's I, an interesting shout i mean i think at the end of the day you are an english team and i guess i just think john terry john terry john terry when i think of chelsea so in in a perfect world i would want it to be one of our academy guys that that wears the armband but 
in the next year or two, if Aspie's not on the pitch, and like I said, Luis and Hazard most likely won't be there either, yeah, Rudiger would be that guy. Yeah, I definitely think so too. And going back to the moment that that Enward was talking about, you know, he he mentioned that Rudiger got fired up, and I mean, he was yelling at the top of his lungs, "Get back, get back!" to all of his teammates that didn't track back on a on a West Ham counterattack, and. You know, at face value, you could look at it and say, wow, what a dick. He's yelling at his teammates. But when you really think about it, like that's leadership. Sometimes leadership is being an asshole, grabbing somebody by the shirt collar and saying, get your head out of your fucking ass and start playing the right way. And it seems like Rudiger has that fire in him. So that's something something to keep an eye on, something I would like to see for next season, to be completely honest. You know, if if guys like David Luiz don't renew their contract – um, and, and Dave is obviously still on the side. I won't mind seeing Rudiger wear the armband where Dave gets rotated for uh, uh, Reese James. Did I say it? <laughs> oh, wow, interesting. Um, anyways, let's get to these match previews. So, I mean, there's not much to talk about with Slavia Prague because we don't know much about them. All we know is that Sparta Prague is their rivals, and apparently Sparta Prague is a bigger club, but they're in third place, and Slavia Prague's in first, so suck it, Sparta. Um, they have a seven-point lead at the top of the table in a Czech league, and you know it, it might sound like they're not the greatest side in the world, but let's not forget, this is a side that did qualify for the Champions League, and they did knock out Sevilla last round which is no mean feat considering the success that Sevilla has had in the Europa League uh the last five or so years so Andres we are traveling to Prague for this one how do you think it's going to pan out uh I think we're going to surprise I think people expect it to be like 1-0 1-1 just kind of like scrappy but I think that I don't know what it is but this past couple games I feel like Sari's Tactics with rotation has really motivated the people on the <clears throat> on the short end of the stick. Um, I thought that Rudiger responded very well to being benched, and I feel like I think I, I think he thing, knew he needed it too, though. Right, that's fair. But I think the same thing is going to happen going into this game because at the end of the day, William has an ego. We saw him cover up Conte with trophies because Conte stopped playing him and stuff like that. So. I think Willian is going to come out with a chip on his shoulder. I think Kovacic now more than ever has to play every game like he has a like he has something to prove because he has something to prove. He has to prove that he's worth keeping and he has to prove to Madrid, "Hey, maybe you want to bring me back." So I expect those two guys to have a great game. And Giroud, I mean, something about the Europa League. We we joke that Giroud is the CR7 of the Europa League. The guy yeah, scores. Does, yeah, the guy scores, and and our style of play suits Europe more so than the the Premier League. So mm-hmm. I really just think that as a team, we're going to come out surprised. What most pundits will probably expect from the away traveling side all the way to to Prague and and have a a decent game, like a a, a solid solid performance, maybe two nil away. Call me crazy, Andres, and I'm gonna say it. And I don't want you to judge me. Do I have your word? Sure. I want Marcus Alonso to play. <laughs> because I don't want him playing against Liverpool. And I want Emerson to get the rest that he needs. Fair enough. I, I'm i with you. If he's healthy, let's play him. Especially because we don't really have another option at left back. 
See, I'm saying William, Pedro, Kovacic, Christensen, and Alonso. Those are the guys that have to play. Of course, we'd like to see Ampadu on the bench, but I'm not getting my hopes up with Ampadu this season because Maurizio Sarri really hasn't... uh, We criticize him for the way he treated Cho and maybe some of the other younger players like Loftus-Cheek and Christensen in the side, but Ampadu just hasn't barely gotten a sniff, and I doubt that Sarri's going to throw him in at this stage. So, you know, we're kind of... uh, living on a prayer with that one but I'm gonna go Chelsea 2-0 I think it'll be comfortable I think we'll control the game like you said our style suits European football and let's not forget this is knockout football we have guys in our squad that are winners Olivier Giroud N'Golo Conte if we rotate the squad we got guys like William who started the Europa League final a few years ago Pedro who's won everything there is to win in football I mean guys that are that have credibility and that have the experience that to know the significance of this match. So I think Chelsea's going to come out strong. I think we're going to score first. I think we will hold them to a shutout. And I think the return leg at the bridge is going to be one of those fun, relaxing games where we don't really have to worry too much about uh, possibly slipping on a banana peel. The one I want to talk about a lot is the Liverpool match. Um, Let's do it. So we, we play Liverpool on Sunday um, at Anfield. So like we said at the end of part one, there are a lot of Slippy G puns coming your way. <laughs> but there is also a ground that Hazard loves to have fun in and a ground that Chelsea likes to ruin parties in as well. So um, just to give you a little background on Liverpool this season in case you've been living under a rock – um, they, they, they're in quite the title run in with City, possibly one of the most um, entertaining uh, title run-ins we've seen in a while. So they're actually two points ahead of Man City right now. Man City do have a game in hand. Liverpool played 33, City have only played 32. Um, like I said, Chelsea have a history at Anfield, um, and Liverpool has only lost one match all season long, Andres. That's a problem because it looks more likely that we'll probably scrape out a draw as opposed to just taking all three points at Liverpool, which I'm okay with either way. I think that's a good result. Um, But something that's interesting to point out, and sorry touched upon this and actually criticized the the FA for this, is we also play uh, Slavia Prague on Thursday, which means if our game is on Sunday, we have only two days, Friday and Saturday, to rest, compared to Liverpool, who do play in the Champions League, uh, they play Porto tomorrow on Tuesday, which gives them Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday to rest, a combined total of four days. Um, but, you know, the Premier League is totally fair with their scheduling, and they don't favor certain teams over others. Total fucking bullshit. But anyways, what do we need to do to win this game, Andres? Or well, I'm going to change that. What do we need to do to pick up a result? Okay. For n- number one, play the guys that played today. That's my first requirement. And I know we, we kind of talked about quickly on, on the, you know, seeing seeing today's starting 11 makes me think that most of those guys won't play Thursday and will be used against Sunday. Obviously, the biggest one would be seeing whether Callum Hudson-Odoi starts Thursday or not or how much he's used on Thursday to see then what we'll probably do Sunday. But my thing is it's working really well right now. You're seeing the defensive output from these very offensive players work because Emerson, Loftus-Cheek, and Callum Hudson-Odoi, I felt, were very strong in their defensive defensive positioning. 
So for one, start those guys. Uh, number two, absorb a little bit of, of Liverpool. I think that we need to kind of play as the underdog more so than try to take it to them. And then honestly, for, for this game, I always ask for us to be the first one to kind of punch the other team, but maybe more of a weather the storm a little bit first. We are at Anfield. They're going to come out hot and emotional, just kind of absorb a couple hits and then hit them in the counter. So I don't want us to score in the first three minutes because I feel like that's trouble. Yeah, I feel like then we'll just try to sit back. I feel like it'll be more of a shock value if we score in like the 30th, the 60th, somewhere where they think that, you know, kind of kind of where you just shock them to the point where they don't know what to do now because they've tried so much so also uh, at that point in the match. And then they're like, well, what the heck? They scored off of their only like their third chance and we've had 10. So yeah. I think at this one, we really just need to play the underdog role just like we did during the Slippy G 2013-2014 season. Just kind of absorb the punches and, and once we see the opening – Try to finish it then. That God, maybe we can embarrass James Milner so bad in this match that he'll sign for the Galaxy this summer. That would be perfect. <laughs> oh God, perfect. Um, I, I I think it's interesting to point out that Liverpool haven't necessarily, although they've been picking up points, they've been doing it very unconvincingly in the last month or so. Mm-hmm. And this argument could go two ways, right? Because on one hand, you can say, well, look, they're picking up points while they're not playing well. That's the mark of a team of a true title contender, which is completely true. And if you're denying it and you're listening to this podcast, could you really consider yourself a Chelsea fan? I mean, we played we, we played the shittiest cup final in the Champions League final that year and somehow still won with Ryan Bertrand, that fucking left wing. But like the point is championship teams don't necessarily play well all the time but they still find ways and Liverpool have seemed to do that they barely beat Fulham at the last minute a couple weeks ago they got lucky against Spurs with Lloris obviously luck is a huge part of finding a way and then they beat Southampton 3-1 but didn't really turn it on until late in the second half if we can get again like Andre said not necessarily a goal in the opening couple minutes but if we can get the first goal of the match I think it'll force Liverpool to kind of come out of their shell and it'll really pile the pressure on because I think Liverpool do look a bit fragile at the moment. And I think they are there for the taking at the moment. And I think they're looking, I, I, I think City's in the driving seat of this title run in. Look, five points or six games left for City. They basically have to win out, which won't be very difficult for a team like them. Um, but then you got Liverpool on the flip side who have this history of slipping up recently in the Premier League, no pun intended. Actually, pun, all, all fucking puns intended, Andres. I meant that. <laughs> but my point is, Liverpool look a bit fragile. And although they've been picking up points, they haven't played a team that's willing to punish them for not playing well. And I think Chelsea are... Chelsea could rise to the occasion in that sense. Look what we did to City early on in the season. Look what we did to Arsenal early on in the season. Look what we did to Tottenham at the bridge. I mean, there's these countless situations where teams haven't played well against us. Good, decent teams haven't played well against us, and we found ways to pick up results against them. Um, Something else that I want to point out, too, 
Nobody talks about Liverpool's fullbacks. All the talk seems to be on Mo Salah, Sadio Mane, Firmino, you know, the the flair of that front three. Um, but nobody talks about how good Liverpool's fullbacks are. I think our fullbacks and Aspi and Emerson or Alonso, whoever plays on that left-hand side, we have – I'm not necessarily saying that we have to, to – to, uh, to exceed their work rate, but we at least have to match it. And Liverpool's strength is in the wide areas because they attack through their fullbacks. Trent Alexander-Arnold, I think, has like six assists on the season, and, and Robertson has somewhere like nine or ten assists on the season. I mean, those that's the fulcrum of their attack. They love the ping balls into the box. Guys mm-hmm. like Firmino are constantly looking for knockdowns in and around the area. They break high and hard down the flanks. And to be completely honest, they're amongst the best in Europe at that. So... I and think we're it, the worst. And we're the worst, exactly. So I think Dave and Emerson have to be wary of it and not necessarily beat their energy level because I think that's unreasonable, but at least match it. Um, if we mimic their fullback's movement when we're in possession where we could keep them pinned back and prevent them from breaking, up the, uh, from, from breaking down the flanks, I think we'll be in a pretty good position to keep a lid on them because – Mo Salah only has one goal in his last seven. Granted, he did score against Southampton recently. But, you know, they got guys that are slipping in and out of form. Firmino hasn't necessarily scored consistently this season, although he seemed to get his shit together once he moved to the number 10. And Sadio Mane is probably going to be the biggest threat on a day for us just because Mm -hmm. every single team seems to undervalue his ability. And they shut down Salah. But Sadio Mane destroys them. Just look at the Champions League against Bayern Munich. So that's something I want to mention. Um, Andres, I want to know your opinion on this. Mo Salah has been playing as a number nine. Do you think he's better off there? I don't know, man. I I don't think so, honestly. I thought that that Firmino in the middle as a false nine is what made Mo Salah so dangerous because he would drag the center back out of their defensive line and open up that space for Salah to run into. And I think maybe that's why he's quote unquote struggling. I mean, the guy's still scoring a lot of goals, but he's not at the same pace as last season because again, he's not finding these spaces behind an offensive uh, fullback or finding a space behind a center back that's been dragged out of position. So I really do think that the four, three, three, they were running last season with, Firmino as a false nine played more to Mo Salah's strength. It just created more one-on-ones for him, which again, I think most of his goals were that way last season. And again, high percentage chances, AKA his 35 goal season. So yeah, I, I really do think that the four, three, three with him in the right wing would fits him more as an individual. But I mean, this is the best, Liverpool has done as a team, so maybe the team just operates better this way. I just think, as an individual, he's more of a right winger. I think I think if Liverpool do event, it, uh, they're not going to win the title. I think City is, and I'd rather have City win the title. Um, but I think if Liverpool do win the title this season, I think Klopp moving Salah to the number nine is just an absolute masterstroke because what that means is you don't necessarily have to rotate Salah as much as you used to when he plays on the flank because he's not working as much up top. Um, so, so you're basically extending. Uh, you're you're basically giving them 
an extended run in a team by playing him up there because he's conserving his energy. He's not he's not tracking back on defense every single time, and he's able to play more matches as a result. I think it'll pay off if Salah gets back into form. But as a number nine, Salah hasn't has been more inconsistent. He hasn't found the back of the net as much, and that's a fact. I mean, you can look it up. Um, so it, it could go one of two ways for Klopp. I mean, I, it could either pay off and, and Salah explodes between now and the end of the season and they make this brilliant push and, and, and win a title, or it could keep going the way it's going and they could keep teetering on the edge of dropping points every match for the next five matches. And if they keep going on that route, they're probably going to drop points along the line. And who... Who in their right mind would put it beyond Chelsea to do that at Anfield, knowing the history between the two (laughs) clubs? So with that being said, give me your prediction. For the fifth time in six seasons, Chelsea are going to decide the Premier League. (sighs) The sound of that. I just think we're on a high. Like, we're just on a high at the perfect time. Hazard is playing out of this world i think that uh while they may have more rest they also have a higher caliber team to play against and a higher stake game for them in porto and we've essentially shown our cards our our main starters play today meaning that we're taking a mostly b team to Prague for the away side which means we're focusing on beating liverpool i think that the The aim is to beat them. I think we can do it based on Hazard's form and this new starting 11 that we have. Uh, It's something that we didn't mention at all is that Jorginho was also fantastic the two times we played Liverpool. And, Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, I just think that the key is going to be for our wingers to stay high and wide. If if Hudson-Odoi is on the pitch, that's something that he's already doing naturally. Maybe Eden needs to fight his his tendencies and stay high too to keep both Robertson – and Trent Alexander-Arnold, TAA, yeah, Trent Alexander, uh, whatever, I can't say it right now, but keep them pinned back, and and essentially by keeping our threatening players up, keeping their two biggest threats in buildup back as well. So what's the score? Oh, uh, what I, I think it might just be a 1-0, Chelsea. Like, wow, uh, you're going yeah. for three points. I I'm going it. for the full three, and I think it's gonna be, it's gonna feel a lot like that 2012 Champions League campaign where we're just gonna be getting punished and punished and punished, and we're just gonna take that one chance. I'm gonna go one-one Chelsea, and I think Hazard continues his scoring run, not because he's had this crazy momentum and everything, because I mean, I mean it's it is partly because of that. But I think a huge factor in this is in the back of Hazard's head, he's thinking, oh, man, how great would it be to play my last Premier League game at Anfield and cost Liverpool the title? Like, like I just think that alone is, a, is enough motivation for Hazard to just say, yep, I'm going to turn it on against them. That's it. No one's going to stop me. I'm going to go 1-1. I think Hazard's going to score. And uh, and I think after this match, we're going to hear about how brilliant Virgil van Dyke is and how there's never been a better player than Virgil van Dyke, and that Liverpool should rename Anfield to Virgil van Dyke Stadium. 
and how the Premier League should change their logo from a lion to Virgil Van Dyke's man bun. Like it's just it, like you could already see the Van Dyke stuff coming, and it's gonna be annoying. So with that it, being said, I'm actually I, I'm 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 gonna amend my prediction, Andres. Actually, Hazard's still oh, gonna gosh. score. It's still gonna be one one, but Hazard's gonna sit Virgil Van Dyke on his ass where he belongs, and then slot it in the back of the net. That'd so with be that great. with that being said. That's the end of part two. So in case you guys didn't catch the hint yet, there is a part one. Just look for the podcast titled Hazard is Sex. Um, (laughs) Basically, if you want to understand where we're coming from or or, or how we feel about the last two matches, just know that watching those last two matches was as good as having great sex. And uh, Hazard was the one (laughs) who helped us all climax so god that was terrible um but anyways <laughs> make sure you check out part one <laughs> hazard is sex andres is in the process of climaxing as we speak that's why he can't catch his breath but make sure you follow us on twitter <laughs> at romans empire pod check us out uh also on soundcloud romans empire pod um a chelsea fc podcast we're on itunes or on any third party app um and yeah make sure you check us out give us a follow let us know what you think we love you guys thank you so much for listening andres good chatting with you as always bud and until next time keep the blue flag flying high